title of the sermon is Are You Blessed? I want you to take right now a couple sentences and figure out, are you blessed? We'll get back to it at the end of the sermon. Yes, no, don't, no, maybe yes, maybe no. Whatever answer is yours, that's fine. Just think to yourself, are you blessed? Today we're going to go to the book of Matthew. Matthew writes about the king, King Jesus. Chapters 1 to 4 in Matthew talk about King Jesus' arrival. Chapters 5 to 9 talk about King Jesus' authority. Chapters 10 to 12 talk about King Jesus' agenda and mission. Chapters 13 to 17 talk about the kingdom parables and kingdom conflict. Chapters 18 to 23 talk about the king, Jesus' administration. Chapters 24 to 28 talk about his atonement, his saving us. And again in chapter 28, it's the king's assignment. Three of Jesus' major discourses, which are orations or speeches or writings, are found in Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7. Mystery of the Parables, Matthew 13. The Olivet Discourse, which is prophetic, that's in chapters 24 to 25. We're going to jump into the Sermon on the Mount, the manifesto of the king, public declaration of his policy and his aims. It's three chapters long, but we're still going to look at just the first 12 verses today and the king's assignment. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. In your pew Bible, that's on page 809 and 810. Again, in the Pew Bible, it's page 809 and 810. Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to look at the words from Jesus called the Beatitudes. It's important to know who is the audience. A few years ago when I was in front of a bunch of uh, teenagers, the audience was expecting to hear about algebra or some other math course. When I stand up here, you guys expect to hear about God's Word and a description of what's going on with it. Our small group, we talk about uh, some part of the Bible, then we pray, then we sit around and eat food that's no good for us and solve most of the world's problems. So you need to know your audience. Let's look here and see who the audience is. Um, 
In verse 5-1, Matthew tells us, Jesus sat down, his disciples came to him. Verse 5-2, he opened his mouth and taught them. Jesus taught his disciples. So a disciple of Jesus is someone who accepts his teachings, assists in spreading the teachings, and looks at Jesus as master. Are you a disciple of Christ? If yes, the words in this passage are meant to be uh, to teach you. If no, I pray that today is the day you accept Jesus as your master and king. He died for your sins, was buried, and after three days rose again. He took your punishment. So these words can lead you in that direction. Psalm 86.11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Again, in Psalm 143.10 Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. The Sermon on the Mount is the answer to the psalmist's prayers. Jesus is teaching his disciples. I looked up the word Beatitudes in my Strong's Concordance, and it is not there. After a few more efforts, I concluded that the word Beatitude is not in the Bible. The inspired word of God. You have your Bibles open, it probably says Beatitudes right at the title. That's not God's word. That's just a title easy to find what's going on. Um, what I did find is the word blessed. Literally means happy, fortunate, blissful. You probably noticed I'm pronouncing it both blessed and blessed. I took a small survey. I might have asked some of you, do you want, should the Beatitudes be read blessed or blessed? I even talked to and listened to five pastors. The five pastors came out three to two on this, so it's not exactly rocket science. So I talked to the one pastor, a gray-haired man that you've met and heard before, and I said to him, when you did the Beatitudes, he did a sermon, I listened to it, I'm plagiarizing some of his work today. I talked to him and I said, well, how come you use blessed? And he said to me, blessed, the two of them, one's Old English, one's not. Then he said they mean the same thing. Then he gave me a rule, a definition that I can remember, embrace, and follow for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter. So that's what I'm going with. I'm going with it. It doesn't matter. If it matters to you, it's okay. If you have a rule that it has to be blessed or it has to be blessed, that's fine. You can use that rule. And if I say it wrong today, just quietly in your head, change it. Natalie, would the algebra test be a lot easier if some of the answers were? It doesn't matter. <laughs> but we don't get that very often. Okay, so onward. On uh, August 1st, Dick Russell stood up here and told us of his love of poetry. Then he read us an inspiring poem about a nightingale and a glowworm. That inspired me to write a poem. Then on August 22nd, Andrew Smith was up here, and he read us a poem. Great poem. I wrote a poem. I've never been published. In a minute, you're going to understand completely why that's true. It's, it's kind of sounds silly, but it has a truth in it, a truth that really matters. It's only four lines. You can probably remember it. Here it goes. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Beatitudes are to be, and there's nothing to do. They are called the be attitudes. We are to be something. They are not called the do attitudes. We're not supposed to do this to get to heaven. 
The first part of each beatitude is a characteristic of a believer. Remember who Jesus is teaching. The second part is the reward or blessing for being a disciple of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Very clear that God saves us, not what we do. These, there are churches that preach the Beatitudes as a way to eternal life. They want their people to perform the first part to obtain the reward of the second part. Let's look at the second part of each Beatitude, the reward or the blessing. Verse 3, the reward, the kingdom of heaven, that's eternal life. Verse 4, the reward is, be comforted. Perfect comfort is in heaven, again, eternal life. Verse 5, the reward is inherit the earth. Well, Psalm 37:29 says, the righteous shall inherit the earth, and righteousness, pure righteousness, complete righteousness is in heaven. Verse 6, satisfied, and again it's righteousness, satisfied with righteousness in heaven. Verse 7, receive mercy. Perfect mercy comes from God, allowing us to enter heaven. Verse 8, they shall see God. We see God in heaven. Verse 9, they shall be called sons of God. Ephesians 1.5 says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. We are sons of God in heaven. And verse 10, again, back to the kingdom of heaven. That's in heaven. I submit to you that all the rewards or blessings, the second part, say we are going to heaven. Remember, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He is teaching people that are already saved. The Beatitudes can't possibly be something to do to get to heaven. So what are the first parts of the Beatitudes? They are characteristics of a saved person. Not perfect characteristics. So it is because you are saved that you are poor in spirit. It is because you are saved that you mourn your sin. It is because you are saved that you are meek. It is because you are saved that you seek righteousness. And so on and so forth. Pastor Dave likes bookends. Sometimes I can't see what he's talking about, but this one here, I, even I can see these, verse 3 and verse 10, uh, fill the bill. Verse 3 says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10 says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Other places it's called the kingdom of God, including the Beatitudes in Luke 6. The audience were Jews who were taught that the kingdom of God would bring a Messiah to conquer the Romans and bring Israel back to a days of glory, better than Solomon. Matthew 3.3, 3, John the Baptist talking, says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was announcing Jesus. The kingdom is here now because Jesus came, but not yet fulfilled because we need to have Jesus come back. So the kingdom is yes and not yet. Okay, in verses 3 and 10, you'll notice the word shall isn't there. That's the kingdom is here. In verses 4 to 9, you can notice the word shall, future, is in there. That's for the future perfect kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven in the future, righteousness rules. Kingdom of heaven, oppression is ended. Kingdom of heaven, life, no death. Kingdom of heaven, fellowship in God's presence. Kingdom of heaven, worship at Jesus' feet. The kingdom of heaven that we have now on earth is a promise, a hope, a sure hope, but we live in the now.
Let's look at each of the Beatitudes. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit is the opposite of self-sufficiency. It speaks of being fully dependent on the mercy of others. The poor in spirit realize that they are totally dependent on the mercy of God and His grace. What kept us from realizing the darkness of our souls? Spiritual blindness, pride, stubbornness, rebellion, and a failure to see who God really is? Isaiah 66:26. But this is the one whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God likes the humble and contrite in spirit. Isaiah 57:15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The Lord sends true revival to the humble and contrite. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I'm going to read Joel 2, uh, 12 and 13. Yet even now return to me with fasting and weeping and with mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God wants sinners to return to him. We think of mourning as an agonizing sadness, like at funerals. The mourning Jesus is talking about is not a depression or a misery, but a deep sorrow over our spiritual condition and our sins. This, this, sorrow, reads, lead, uh, this sorrow leads to repentance. A sorrow that compels a person to turn to God, that's a blessing. Second Corinthians seven ten says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So if we have godly grief, grief over our sins, it leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. James four, eight and nine. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. We mourn over our sin condition. Notice you can't mourn your sin until you realize your poor in spirit condition. They're sequential. We see a neediness to mourn sin. What is wrong with the world? One answer, I am. Isaiah, great man of God. Isaiah 6.5 says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Isaiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel all confessed the sins of their people, as well as their own sin. They hated sin. We are comforted now with the forgiveness of sin. In the future, every tear will be wiped away in the kingdom of heaven by God. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37.11 says, But the meek shall inherit the land. We have a poor perspective of the word meek. We think of it as weak and mousy and wimp. In the King James, Matthew 11.29, Jesus speaking, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. Jesus calls himself meek. Jesus wasn't a wimp. Jesus wasn't mousy or any of those characters. Jesus was power under control. He turned over the money changers' tables. 
He chased them out. Multiple guys, not just one guy. He turned over their tables and he chased them out of the temple. Lowly, humble, and meek are interchanged in the Bible. They are good characteristics. Jesus was power under control. At Jesus' betrayal and arrest, Jesus said he had the power to call 12 legions of angels to fight for him, but he didn't. A legion of Roman soldiers numbered 6,000. Twelve legions would be 72,000 angels. Remember in 2 Kings 19.35, one angel killed more than 185,000 guys. You do the math. Never mind, I did it. It's over 13 billion, and there's only like 7 billion people on the earth now. So Jesus had huge power in his grasp and didn't use it. He was meek and humble. He did his Father's will. As meek, humble people, we submit to God's will and see no need to promote self, demand rights. We know that every good and perfect thing is from above, as in James 1.17, and is an act of mercy. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we also reign with him. We have a right that can't be taken away from us, a right that we don't use often enough. We have a right to enter the throne room of God and pray to God. In Hebrews 4.16 it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We can enter into God's presence. Matthew 27.51, when Jesus died, says, The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil guarded the inner sanctuary where God was. The symbolism is that the veil is gone. We can enter into God's presence. Take advantage of that. Verse 6 Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The Lord is good. We learned that in Sunday school. We don't see that if our spiritual desires are dull. That is why the Beatitude says that those that hunger for righteousness are blessed. The believer is given righteousness in the eyes of God at salvation. This beatitude is saying that because we are saved, we have a desire to live rightly. We have a hatred of sin and a desire to see God's laws obeyed. Do not confuse being righteous in God's eyes, saved, with living sinless. Romans 3.23 says, All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Includes me, you, 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 and, and you. Um... What we do is we hunger for future kingdom where righteousness is perfect. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This cannot be that we get God's mercy because we do merciful acts. It is we are merciful because we recognize the complete, unending, fabulous mercy that God shows us as wretched sinners. Mercy is a sense of pity and a desire to ease suffering. Mercy is extending forgiveness for those who have sinned against us. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. What we deserve as sinners is we deserve hell. We don't get hell because of Jesus Christ. The motivation for us being merciful is also in the first four Beatitudes. We're merciful because we, we see the extent of our sin. Uh, we're merciful because we mourn over our sin. We can be merciful and show a meek and gentle character to fellow sinners. We can be merciful and hunger and thirst for righteousness in verse 6. 
When we see offenses against us, we remember our offenses against God and His mercy. Micah 7.18 Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions? If you are in Christ, Ephesians 2 says, you were made for good works, made to extend mercy. If you are not in Christ, let today be the day. God extends His mercy towards you. Come to Jesus and receive eternal life. Mercy is a character trait of a believer, not we receiving mercy according to the mercy we give. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you feel like you have a pure heart? It's a sanctification process that will be complete when we enter God's presence. Because a Christian still has a sin nature, and we continue to sin, there is a continual need for confession. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The promise in verse 8 is, see God. Psalm 51.10 Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with me. Notice the psalmist asked God to create the clean heart. Pure heart shows integrity. Same person Monday is on Sunday morning. Same person watching a football game is being in church. Same person on the golf course, in traffic, at work, whatever day of the week. Our words come from our heart. We have a new ethic. Verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Christ reconciles us to God, then gives us the ministry of peacemaking. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified means declared innocent. We are declared innocent because of our faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. We're fighting against God before its salvation. Now we have peace with God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's not just evangelizing. Next week in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, it's going to say, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift, therefore, before the altar, and go first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Notice, you take care of your offenses, not tell your brother what he did to you. Even if it's partially your brother's fault, you're a peacemaker. If it's all your brother's fault, you can be a peacemaker. You all have families, you can be a peacemaker. You all have neighbors, you can be a peacemaker. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember verse 3, the reward was the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is showing citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is vital. We don't belong to this world spiritually. We live as strangers, aliens, sojourners, not wanted in a lot of places. We don't look for persecution, but it'll come because of our unwillingness to call good evil and evil good. Evangelism is welcome in many parts of the world. Jesus said in John 16:33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. All right, I told you we're going to have an assignment from Jesus. The assignment is in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 
20, the assignment says, starting with verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he called his disciples to go make disciples of the world. Jesus commands his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. Are you a disciple? If yes, the command is given to you. We are to spread the gospel. Is it easy? Sometimes, sometimes not. Look at the promise that Jesus gave at the end of the assignment. I am with you always. Verse 11 and 12, I'm going to read over again. Starting verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is explaining again verse 10. I'm not going to go into that very far. Uh, we are told to do it and to be glad when we're persecuted. Why should we be glad? Because our reward is great in heaven. It's easy for us to look at our family, look at any family that is financially stable, healthy, couple of intelligent, obedient children, and say they are blessed. And they are. They are blessed. So if you... Uh, over and over, Jesus tells us we are blessed if you are saved. He doesn't mention about money, about health. He, he mentions that if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then we are blessed. It doesn't matter if you have money problems. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are blessed. It doesn't matter if you have health problems. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are blessed. It doesn't matter if your kid runs away and joins a commune and selling flowers at the airport. If you know Jesus Christ, you are blessed. I'm not saying those other things aren't important. There's something to work on and pray for. But Jesus is saying, you are blessed if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Again, I ask you, are you blessed? What does the heart of a Christian, a saved person look like? Poor in spirit, more in sin, meek, humble, desires righteousness, is merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker, and accepts persecution for righteousness' sake. Is the life of the kingdom in your heart? Even a faint desire is a promise of God working in you. Pursue more. I've been talking to disciples of Jesus. I want to talk to everybody. And I want to talk to you about a way to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to read from the book of Romans. It's the Bible, I believe it's God's Word, I believe it's true, I believe it has no errors, I believe it has no contradictions in it. So I'm going to read and I'm going to tell you what I think it means, it's really kind of straightforward. Romans 3.23, I already read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, if you've lied once, stolen once, disobeyed a parent, cheated, rolled your eyes at your mom, whatever, you're a sinner. I don't think it's hard for any of us to know that we're sinners. Romans 6.23, the first part of it says, For the wages of sin is death. Well, the first thing I read says we're all sinners, and the second thing I read is that 
the wages, what you deserve, is death. And death in the Bible is a spiritual death, which is go to hell. So we have a problem. We have a problem we're all sinners. We have a problem that we all deserve to go to hell. And then the great statement comes in, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We have a problem. God solves the problem. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Justified. And we're, we're justified by his blood. Let's look at Romans 5, 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. God doesn't want us to clean up our act and then come to Jesus. God wants us to come to Jesus and have Jesus help us to clean up our act. He's still working on my act. So you don't have to be good to come to Jesus. All sinners, everybody that comes to Jesus is a sinner. Come to Jesus. In verse 9, it says that we are justified. Again, justified means we're innocent. In God's eyes, we're innocent. If we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and he died for our sins, we are declared innocent. Uh, saved from the deserved wrath, the deserved wrath is hell. We are saved from hell because of Jesus Christ. I'm going to revert Romans nine, Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confess with the mouth is a deep personal conviction. You should be willing to stand up here and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is my Master. He's my King. No reservations. Jesus is my personal Savior. But it also includes repenting. You need to turn from your sins. In verse 10 it says, Believe in your heart which means that you trust and rely on Jesus as your Savior. And you need to believe that he was raised from the dead. That validates who he is. There was hundreds and hundreds of people that saw Jesus die on the cross. Some of those same hundreds and hundreds of people saw Jesus walk the earth three days later. It's not a myth. It's not a story. It's real. Okay, and then in verse 13, 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. My question to you is, are you a whoever? If you're a whoever and call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says that if you seek him with all your mind and soul and heart, you will find him. If you got a little bit of faith and you want a little bit more faith, and you'd like to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Romans 10, 17 says... Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if you want more faith, listen to God's word. Read God's word. Meditate on God's word. 